Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this.
and welcome to another episode of Pro-Life Fridays here on Blog Talk Radio and the Visible Conservative Radio Network. I'm your host, Thomas, and it's just me flying solo today. Uh, my other two co-hosts had some prior commitments, so it's just me tonight. So, we're going to open up with prayer, a word of scripture, and I'm going to get into my commentary because we have a phenomenal awesome guests today. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father, we are thankful for another opportunity to have another Pro-Life Fridays radio show broadcast, Lord. And we pray that the message that goes forth today and our guests will be able to provide a wealth of information to help those women and men who may be dealing with issues post-abortion. Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, says this. I record this day against you, but I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed may live. As I said before, We have a phenomenal, awesome broadcast today, and we we are going to, basically, we're going to blow the socks off of listeners today, but it's going to be real straight talk, candid discussion. So before I get into my commentary, I am going to take a quick break and be right back. We had a whole plan that sold abortions, and it was called sex education. Break down their natural modesty, separate them from their parents and their values, and become the sex expert in their life so they turn to us. When we would give them a low-dose birth control pill they would get pregnant on or a defective condom. Our goal was three to five abortions from every girl between the ages of 13 and 18 multitudes of people that have been hurt by abortion. It's just unfathomable. That abortion is really, to me, the ultimate exploitation of women. It is so shameful and secretive that many women don't tell anybody that they've had an abortion. They won't say anything for 20, 30, 40, 55 years. They're so traumatized. Silence. U.S. Senate report states Physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being, a being that is alive 
and as a member of the human species. There is an overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. Planned Parenthood is expanding now. They're building gigantic abortion clinics in anticipation of socialized medicine. There's a lot of money involved. We never would take personal checks. We always encourage the ladies to bring cash. Why is that? So, a lot, you don't have to report cash, friend. When you're fighting for your life, you need to know what you're fighting for. And if what you're fighting for is life, how do you destroy a life in an effort to fight that fight? I'm fighting so hard to save myself that I'll kill someone else to get that. I recognized I'd been involved in the death of 35,000 babies. And the truth has really come out about what abortion does to women, let alone the unborn baby, our dead babies. It will be over. And there you have it, straight from the mouth of a former abortion clinic owner, Carol Everett in the documentary Blood Money. If you have not seen that documentary, I recommend you get it and you watch it. Abortion. I was watching TV yesterday morning. And one of those commercials that always come on with the Hollywood actors pleading for people to adopt homeless pets. And I got to thinking, because as everybody knows, Hollywood, for the most part, is extremely pro-abortion. They're not pro-choice because they don't support any other choice when it comes to abortion. A woman's right to choose. Yeah, but when a woman makes the decision to choose life, she is ostracized. So let me get this straight, because I know every one of us, those of you who are listening to the show tonight, you have heard, you have seen the commercials. Of the animals, the sad music, the neglected, poor, neglected animals. And then some Hollywood actress comes on pleading to help the ASPCA, $19 a month, to help a lonely, neglected, and abused animal. Animal.
Where has this nation gone? When the well-being of an animal is elevated above the life of an unborn baby. And I apologize for the background noise, but I'm in a house and there's a lot of construction and grass mowing going on outside, so please forgive me. And then there's talking back and forth. But you know what? Here's the problem I have. Those abortion clinics do not care about the woman once that abortion is done. They leave her to suffer alone, dealing with the psychological abuse, the suicidal thoughts, the levels of guilt so extreme and so so extraordinary that it only, it's only by the grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ, and those women knowing that they were forgiven and they are forgiven, that it takes to recover from something like this. And as someone who was targeted or abortion, someone who was born under the exceptions clause, an ectopic pregnancy survivor. This is a subject that hits home with me. And then you have a lot of the extreme feminists who like to say, who, who support the pro-abortion point of view. You are a man. What can you say? What can you speak about abortion? Excuse me. What can I speak about abortion? Seven female family members who between all of them have had roughly 20 abortions. That includes my own mother who had two abortions performed on her when she didn't even know they were being performed. So that argument doesn't fly. The problem is that you don't have enough men who are stepping up and making their voices heard when it comes to this to this issue. When you have the systematic slaughter of an entire people group, when you have the women of that particular people group, the black community, 
who are so ashamed they cannot talk about it. Which brings me to my guest today. Where do I even begin to start? Let me just read let me just read the bio about one half of a phenomenal ministry team that God God left them. I'm just gonna read the bio. Now Pastor Brian will not be able to be with us, but his other half has blessed us with her presence. So let me let me read the bio. Brian and Denise Walters are licensed ministers and co founders of Everlasting Light Ministries. They authored and con- they authored and conduct Rich in Mercy an abortion and miscarriage recovery program for individuals, spouses, extended family, abortion industry workers, and Everlasting Love, a marriage enrichment program designed to revive broken and bruised marriages. The Walkers are powerfully transparent, compassionate, and articulate speakers about the real-life consequences of abortion. In a genocidal effect abortion had had has had on the African American community. They also advocate for the healing and restoration needs of post abortive people. Their inspiring testimony of how Jesus Christ healed and restored their fractured marriage and tortured lives from the devastation of three abortions and the miscarriage captivates and motivates audiences of all ages. They have been featured in a national, state, and local pro-life events such as the 2011 West Coast Walk for Life, Oakland Walk for Life, Silent No More, and keynoted at conferences, churches, colleges, college campuses, and pregnancy health center banquets. Brian and Denise are the Minnesota leaders for the National Black Pro-Life Coalition and serve on the Board of Advisors for Home Human Life Alliance. Brian is also the Program Director for Pro-Life Action Ministries, the nation's oldest direct action sidewalk counseling ministries with over 2,000 children saved since its founding. Brian is an urban planning graduate of Rutgers University. Denise is a is a master quilter, teaching artist for the Minnesota State Arts Board, and is a graduate of the University of Minnesota Law School. They homeschooled six years, reside in the Twin Cities, and have three adult children. You know what? I have had the pleasure of speaking to both Pastor Brian and Pastor Denise. I call them pastors because they are nurturers, they love people, and they are about the business of seeing healing and restoration brought to the 
body of Christ, post-abortive people, and they're straight across the board. So Pro-Life Friday listeners, please join me in welcoming Pastor Denise Walker to the show. Hello. How are you? I am well. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Glad to uh, be on your show and Wow, you read that bio. I, I was wondering, gee, is he talking about me? <laughs> that sounds really wonderful. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh, I'm really quite grateful for the opportunity that the Lord has given us to not only be healed and set free by the power of the word of Jesus Christ and covered by his blood, but I'm also grateful that God would use someone like me or my husband, to be able to bring that same healing to others and to try and wake up our communities and our country to the need to repent, to return to the Lord, and to allow God to heal our land and our souls and to put us back in our right minds. So, Thank you so much. That was that was quite a, a blessing to hear what God has allowed us to do in his service. Amen. I want I wanna ask you, because we have we have an hour and thirty seven minutes, but you you can leave when you need to. But I want you to share from the very beginning in a way the way the format works, um when Letitia is here She's at a phenomenal conference in Arizona. She she would ask questions, but my format, I like to hear the testimonies, and then when a question pops up, um, I'll jump in. So if you can start from the very beginning, you know, with everything and up into, I mean, I want to hear the point when God arrested you and Pastor Brian's heart and brought you into the pro-life ministry. Basically, in a nutshell, I want to hear the whole tap talk. Take it away, Pastor. Well, um, we, God redeemed our souls uh, back on the cross over 2,000 years ago, but we hadn't received that redemption until 1981 with the birth of our uh, son who was born with multiple handicaps and when he was born with the multiple handicaps I saw it as a punishment from God that I believed was well deserved for the three abortions that I had previously experienced and um, and also for the one miscarriage that uh, that I also had had And uh, two of those abortions Were with a Boyfriend in college And uh, The last abortion Was with Brian while we were in The betrothal period um, So to give you Just a little background uh, Brian and I come from Different parts Of the world uh, I was raised in a very upscale black middle class family 
where there were Cadillacs in the driveway, pools, a big, huge pool in the backyard, intercom system throughout the house. Uh, I was back in 1971, uh, excuse me, from 1970 to 73, I had an allowance of $80 a week. Um, as I tell people, I, was, I had expenses, and Part of those expenses included my car and and everything else, uh, clothes, whatever. Uh, Brian, on the other hand, came from a um, working class background, civil servants, uh, lived in an apartment all his life, never a homeowner, and uh, did not aspire to be a homeowner, and had uh, very few ex- uh, few uh, expectations of doing that. So we, we, we came from different parts of the world. and But when I met Brian, uh, I met him at a time when I had broken up from the boyfriend who was the father of the first two of those first two children who were aborted. And um, uh, I want to just kind of go back just a little bit further. I want to take a little detour here and take us back to the day of April 4th, 1968, when Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed. And that particular day, uh, my mother was hot combing my hair, and the news came over the radio that he had been shot and killed. And my mother went into a grief that I had never seen her have before, had never seen her have since. And in her grief, she wanted to encourage me and try to propel me uh, by stating that um, his death should not be in vain, that she wanted me to go on and make something of myself, make a way for other blacks to go to college. Uh, She said, go ahead, go to college uh, if you want to become a professional, but don't be like your sisters um, because they were failures. And the reason why my sisters were failures was because they got pregnant out of wedlock, had their babies, and lived in poverty for many, many, many years. And so that day, I was 13 years old, that day I found out what a failure was. And that day I found out that... Having a baby out of bed, out of wedlock is not the way towards the American pie or the American dream. And so the seeds of the death certificate for that for all of my aborted children were sown in my heart that day. You know, the the my mom was trying to encourage me, but the enemy of my soul took that information and twisted it and turned it into a death certificate because uh, I was not going to be like my sister. And so along the way, 1973 comes, Roe v. Wade gets passed by the Supreme Court, and so abortion became an option for those of us who wanted to still play around but didn't want to have the responsibilities um of a child And so I went to college And I uh, Met this young man 
make a long story short, we fornicated. And we fornicated according to how we were trained in school. We had sex ed classes. We were told that if we used birth control, we wouldn't have a problem getting pregnant. Well, we used the birth control, got pregnant anyway. And uh, so those two children died by abortion because I was not going to be a failure. Uh, it was going to be about my career, my life, and what I want. It was me, me, I, I, and we all over again. So fast forward back to Brian. Um, we were, again, living together, and uh, we had gotten engaged. Our wedding was set for May 24th of 1980, and we found out in January of 1980 that I was pregnant. Well, even though I knew that abortion was wrong, I didn't really quite care that it was wrong because I still had the same triggers in my life. But I was more sensitized to how wrong it was in that we were getting married, we were going to be we were going to have a family at some point in time. Um and I kind of looked to Brian to supply the answers for us and what I wanted to hear from him was, Well, okay, Denise, well, let's just get married. We can you know, have a reception later on and, and you know, maybe after the baby is born or whatever. Well, that's not what came out of his mouth. What came out of his mouth was, I'm not ready to be a father. I don't want this baby um, uh, to incorporate his his testimony. He said, I just wanted to continue to play house without uh, without responsibility or consequences. And so the man of my dreams, the man of man with whom I wanted to spend my entire life with, even though we were at Rutgers University saving South Africa and being involved in the liberation of South Africa and South African families, when it came to our own families, my then fiancé, now husband, um, didn't stand up for our family didn't stand up for our child, and I was put in the position of having to choose between him and my baby. And I I, uh, I chose him over my baby. And when that occurred, what also occurred was a deep-seated hatred, not only for Brian, but for myself, which I kept under wraps. For years, the anger levels were immense, and when the angers would arise, uh, I'd push them down. And so part of the reason for aborting that last child was, well, we didn't have a job, we weren't doing well, uh, we were still in school, and uh, we hadn't really gotten things going, so when we finally did get married... And we did have our first child. Uh, the circumstances were such that uh, I had to stay home with this youngster because of his multiple handicaps, which I didn't mind. But what it also meant was my husband didn't have a vision for prosperity. And so what he did was send me down to the welfare office 
to apply for welfare, food stamps, WIC, you name it. And that was the last straw that broke my back. And so essentially everything that I had ever aborted my children for in terms of my own selfish ambitions um, uh, and all the things, that all the problems I thought that abortion would solve for me came and slapped me in my face. And so the deep-seated anger and the hostility and the hatred that I kept under wraps became even more intense. And for the next 17 years, um, there were these uh, outbursts and tremendous anger, and we could never figure out where these angers and outbursts were coming from. Uh, One day, I was fine. The next day, I was down in the dumps and depressed. Uh, had suicidal thoughts and couldn't figure out why I wanted to die so much. Um, uh, couldn't handle the department store of a, uh, or I should say, the baby section in a department store. Uh, if it weren't for my mother-in-law shopping for my children, they probably would have gone naked because I just couldn't handle that section of a department store. Um, I was depressed on and off, but sometimes for months at a time, and could never figure out why or, or what's the problem here. Because along the way, in 1981, after my son was born, we did receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we did learn that you know God is a forgiving God. Um, but deep down inside, I did not believe that he could really ever forgive me for what I had done. And right. we also believe uh, we also believe the falsehood that forgiveness in and of itself is healing or equals healing. And so we believed that falsehood, and so we never really thought that there was anything that needed to be addressed, that there was any need for healing because we we just associated the forgiveness of God with being healed when, in fact, we were not only not healed, but we were dying inside. Our souls were like seared with a hot iron, and the pain and the anguish over those next 17 years was unfathomable. And here we are in the church, Um, we're leaders in the church, we were doing marriage ministry in the church, and we're ministering to everybody else's marriage while ours is dying. I couldn't understand why I couldn't really like or or love him. I I, I mean, he was a great man, I mean, he, he... uh, was uh, an elder in the church. He was faithful to tithe. Uh, he was uh, faithful to me. He was faithful to our children. He worked jobs that he didn't like. He brought home all his money to me. Uh, he was totally devoted to me afterwards, but I couldn't stand him. Um, I couldn't stand the sight of him, and I couldn't understand why I couldn't understand the sight of him. Uh, 
And every time we had a money problem, uh, it would take me back to the abortion experience. It wouldn't be just a momentary problem of finances. No, it was it was a total and complete betrayal and abandonment issue at that point. And I didn't understand why. Um, so this went on for 17 years, and and uh, we would be intimate with one another. And all I know is after intimacy, I would I would uh, turn over, and the tears would start dropping out of my eyes. And a lot of times, my pillow was soaked, okay, from tears. And I couldn't understand why can't why can't I deal with this man? I really couldn't respond to him, and I was totally and completely emotionally incapacitated and didn't know why. So finally, um, Brian being a praying man, he knew that he couldn't help me, and so he started praying for God to help me. And so one day God literally you know, when God appoints a time and a season for a person to be set free, he will use anything, anyone, and any circumstance to get you to healing. And right. in my circumstance, he used the Republican Party to introduce me to a uh, healing ministry of which we are the head of. And Before, uh, before you... Before you go into that, I am going to take a quick break. Um, okay. Give you, um, give you an opportunity. Get a glass of water if you need to. Give my listeners opportunity to get a glass of water because your your testimony it's uh, it's riveting and wow. I yeah, words cannot. Words cannot describe just listening to you and just hearing your heart, hearing hearing the passion and the conviction. So if you could hold on and we'll pick right back up after the break. Sure. Let's see. Society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. I do not join in the belief that the African is our equal in brain or in heart. We are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever-increasing, unceasingly spawning class of human beings who never should have been born at all. The laws of nature require the obliteration of the unfit. The best way to hate a nigger is to hate him before he is born. American eugenicists were routinely praising Hitler and holding up the Nazi eugenics program as a model for the United States to copy. Non-white races must be excluded from America. The red and black races, if left to themselves, revert to a savage or semi-savage state in a short time. 
The only way possible of decreasing Negro population is by means of controlling fertility. Birth control facilities could be extended relatively more to Negroes than to whites, since Negroes are more concentrated in the lower income and education classes. We hope that the restraint of population growth can come about through voluntary means. But if it does not, involuntary methods will be used. There should be national sterilization for certain dysgenic types of our population who are being encouraged to breed and would die out for the government not feeding them. If this movement continues, we soon may be accused of fighting poverty by eliminating the poor and overcoming hunger by removing the hungry. For all their failures, what the eugenics movement had accomplished was to lay the foundation for the next phase of their plan. And this is where they would find the success that they had been chasing for over 100 years. And welcome back to Pro-Life Fridays here on the Visible Conservative Radio Network. And I am speaking with Reverend Denise Walker of the National Black Pro-Life Coalition. Pastor, before we went to break, you were about to share how um, you was introduced by the Republican Party to true healing, if you will. So pick up where you left off. What happened was that I was elected delegate to the National Convention of the Republican Party back in 1996. And God used the election to that post as well as the attendance to that convention to introduce me to people in my own backyard who were um, involved in abortion recovery ministry. And so through those people, I was able to attend um, the ministry. It was called PATH, Post-Abortion Trauma Healing. And it was a nine-week program, and I went through that program twice. And I needed all 18 weeks of that program because when I got there, when I got there, I'm not, well, first off, I'm not a panicky person. I'm not one to lose my nerve easily. Uh, But the drive to that program, I started freaking out on the way. And I couldn't understand why I was freaking out, even to the point of having uh, visitations in the car, okay, of, of, and I believe, angelic visitations to help me get to that healing ministry. And when I walked in there, I was totally freaked out. I bypassed everybody. I didn't say anything to anybody totally the antithesis of my of my personality went and sat down in a in a row that nobody else was sitting in didn't want anybody to say anything to me didn't want anybody to touch me look at me acknowledge me i just was sitting in this row and i was shivering and i was shaking and this woman gets up and she says Okay, after introducing herself and letting us know where we are, she says, okay, we're all here now. 
we're all safe, we can tell our secret. And an anger started in my toes, and it was the same anger that would rise in my toes, and I was able to very successfully push back down. Well, this anger continued to rise from my toes into my calves, and I tried to push it down, and I couldn't, and then it rose up my leg, and I tried to push it down, and I couldn't, and it rose up into my torso, and I'm desperately trying to push it down, and I can't, and then it gets into my throat, and at that point, I couldn't push it down anymore, and it was like a volcano, and I just spewed. I just absolutely just vomited this anger. This anger that I have been holding for over 17 years. And for the next nine weeks, they told me that it took a lot of preparation, that they had to get very prayed up to come in there to work with me because they said I was the angriest woman that they had ever met in their entire life and how they prayed to God that I could be delivered and set free because the trauma of abortion had literally taken over my life. Wow. And these faithful women, these women came in there week after week and they ministered the word of God to my soul. And I reconnected with the God of my salvation. The God of my salvation was one of grace and one of mercy one who could one who could forgive my sins. One who said that though my sins be as scarlet they would be white as snow. But I had lost that that God as I began to walk in, in the Christian world. I began to lose him and he became replaced with a God who desired works, a God who desired all kinds of action, all kinds of Stuff that had to be done on the outside Even though on the inside I was dying inside And couldn't admit it And couldn't go to anybody Because if I had I would have probably been excommunicated I I couldn't say to anybody This is what I've done This is where I've been I'm the murderer There's no difference between me and Hitler Except for numbers And there was no way to be able To say that And so I then related to God based on my good works, based on how many times I went to church or how many times I tithed or how many offerings I gave or how many times I ministered uh, to others or evangelized people or how many people were saved because we were able to, to say the salvation prayer with them. And so I had lost that God who loved me unconditionally, I had lost the God of grace. I had lost the God of mercy. And these women came in there, and they reintroduced me to him. And they poured in the word of life week after week after week after week. And they had asked me in that first week, what are your goals? What do you want God to do for you? And so I said to them, I want to know who my children are. 
I want to know who they are. And I also want to know what is this thing between Brian and I that we cannot get along. Why do I hate this man? Why can't we function? Why are we so dysfunctional? And those are my goals. And by the end of that session, by the end of those nine weeks, not only had God revealed to me who these children are, but he also revealed what was between Brian and I. And what was what was between Brian and I was literally trying to build a marriage on a foundation, not of Jesus Christ, but on a foundation of murder and fornication. And when you try to build on a foundation as sandy as that, boy, oh boy, when the winds blew, and the winds indeed blew, they, they blew seemingly every week, all the time, every time I turned around, every time I lifted up my head, the winds were blowing, and our house was destroyed over and over and over and over again. I was tired because we were constantly trying to rebuild and constantly trying to get our lives in order, and we just couldn't. And we're looking at each other like, we must be cursed. There must be something very, very, very wrong with us. But if you had told us back in those years, if you had told us back in those 17 years that, Denise, the problem between you and Brian is abortion, we would have laughed you off. We, we, we would have laughed you out of the room. No, we would have said to you, no, the problem is not abortion. The problem is that Brian doesn't make enough money, that Brian hasn't taken care of this family to the extent that he promised that he would. He's broken every financial promise that he's ever made. He's a man who doesn't keep his promises. And so, um, no, that's not the problem. The problem is that we don't live the way we're supposed to live. And so um, we just kept rolling along, okay, and limping along, so badly wounded and yet not knowing how to set this thing right, how to make it, how to make the ship sail until the Lord stepped in supernaturally. I mean, he's got me supernaturally to this place. And that was the beginning of the end of the horror. It was the beginning of the end of the trauma. It was the beginning of the end of the grief, of the shame. The shame is unbearable. And because it's unbearable, we, 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 we look for something else. To try and and bind up our wounds. For some of us, it's, it's alcohol or or it's drugs. Uh, for for some of us, it's 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 uh, uh, fornication or it's adultery. It's it's uh, workaholism or gambling or uh, any form of addiction you can think of. For some of us, it's codependency. Um, it's it's the depression, it's the suicidal thoughts, it's it's numbness where we just literally become numb and callous and cold and, and unfeeling. 
for for some of us, we can't bind with our with our children who have been born alive. We 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 can't bear them, or worse, we are so protective of them that we smother them to death, and we, we don't allow them to to walk in the way that God has ordained for them. Uh, for some of us, it's pro-life work, okay, or or it's pro-choice work, okay, pro-life work, and then we very often are trying to excise our own demons in the hope that if we save enough lives, then God might forgive us for the lives that we took. And then on the opposite end, there's the pro-choicers who, who um, are trying desperately to make themselves feel good about their abortions by helping others to do the same wrong and go through the same devastation that they are. And so, you know, the list just goes on and on and on. The trauma of abortion never looks like abortion. It looks like something else. It looks like marital discord. It it looks like anger. It looks like rage and wrath. It looks like memory loss. It it, it looks like your whole this your whole reason or purpose for living just leaves. You you don't have any initiative. You don't have any gumption or goal. Or on the other end, you are a workaholic. Where all you can do is work Where you're constantly busy You you never have a day off You never have the wherewithal To be at rest or at peace You see they don't tell you These things when you have an abortion When you go right. into the abortion clinic They don't tell you What you're going to experience Matter of fact if you were to ask them About that they'd tell you Oh no that's just a myth Okay and the world tells you That it's a myth and they make you think that you're crazy, okay, that there's something um, uh, amiss with you if you're going through some of this stuff. But the bottom line is you cannot kill the image of God in the earth, which is what little babies are. They are the image of God in the earth. You cannot kill them and then expect not to suffer or have no consequences, okay? Because God is a just God. And just as he required of Cain to answer for Abel, so does God expect and require us to answer for our children. And he wants us to do it in safety. And he wants us to do it in the knowledge of him. He wants us to do it. And he wants us to come clean with him and to confess our sins to him so that we can then in turn receive his forgiveness for the despicable acts that we have committed. He wants us to receive his forgiveness for how we have dismembered our children, had their bodies cut up or sucked apart, literally torn from limb to limb. He wants us to come to him and confess the horror of what we have done, and to confess it as the sin for what it is. As we tell tell people in Rich and Mercy, you cannot be healed by God if you are not first willing to confess this sin as sin, that there is no excuse for abortion save one thing, and the only excuse we have 
is that the life, the physical life of the mother would have been compromised if she had been, uh, if she had gone through with the pregnancy. What I'm saying is if that pregnancy would cause that woman to die, that is the only way through which, through which we believe through the word as we've understood it, that God will allow that. And even in that, he still wants us to come to him about it. But most of us, if I'd say probably 99 and 9 tenths of us have the abortion, not because our lives are, are at risk, but because our quality of life that we want would be at risk. And so what we do is we sacrifice our children on the altars of convenience. We sacrifice our children on the altars of money-making. We, we sacrifice them on the altar of literally uh, what lifestyle we want or what we want people to think of us or who we want to live with or who we don't want to live with. Okay, right. we sacrifice it on the altars of selfishness and self-centeredness and 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 pride of life. Uh, all that's in the world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we sacrifice our children on all three of those altars because we want to. If we're fornicating, we want to be able to continue to fornicate, but not have the consequences of that. If we if we want uh, 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 a better lifestyle Or we want to make millions of dollars Or we want to be super successful Well we don't want children We see children as hampering that And so we sacrifice them On that altar okay? Or whatever lifestyle that we want to okay? If we want to accumulate things That's lust of the flesh And lust of the eyes And pride of life And that's all that's in the world And for all that's in the world I wanted And those were the altars That I sacrificed my children on right. But the good news Pastor. Amen Amen. And this Pastor. is the good news And if there's any listeners out there The good news Is that God Is rich in mercy Amen Amen We're He is rich in mercy. Yes, he is. Amen. We're coming up against the top of the hour, so I'm going to take a break. Pastor, after we come back from the break, what you just shared, um, it kind of, I want you to address something that is really bothering me. The fact that, let me ask you this, when you won, and just yes or no, and we're, we'll address it after after the break. But when you was at church, when you're serving in ministry, did your your pastor who you was under did he talk about abortion in the black community? Yes or no? You want me to answer that now or later? No, I, I want you to answer the yes or no now, and then after the break, we're going to go in-depth about that. I want you to address the issue because I think I know what you're about to say. So go ahead and give me the yes or no answer. It was N-O-No. Exactly. 
folks, we'll be right back. You're listening to my interview with Pastor Denise Walker of Rick and Mercy Ministries here on Pro-Life Fridays Radio. We'll be right back.
Bible Life Fridays here on the Visible Conservative Radio Network, and I am interviewing Reverend Denise Walker of the National Black Pro-Life Ministry and Ricky Mercy Ministry. And before we went to break, I asked Pastor Walker about whether or not her pastor had ever spoken about the issue of abortion in her church. And so now we're going to go in depth about why it is within our community where abortion has devastated us, why our leaders in our black churches refuse to talk about it. Pastor, please talk about it because I know you have a lot to say about this subject. Yes, I do. Um, first off, let me just say that when a person is compromised um, between two opinions, what happens is they default to the opinion that will keep the most of whatever it is they fear that they will lose that it will keep it coming in. And unfortunately, many of our clergy are in that predicament. And they are compromised. And they are compromised for several reasons. Um, One that I want to deal with um, and and really focus in on, uh, actually it's two of them that I want to focus in on, and that is, the fact that for many of our clergy, they are involved with abortion personally themselves. Either they have had an abortion or have had a girlfriend or a wife have have an abortion. And so they themselves are hurting, traumatized individuals who don't feel that they can admit these things do not feel that they can say anything for fear of losing their congregation. Um, They might even have issues with their own spouse in terms of threats that if they mention these sort of things, that they will leave them, divorce them, separate from them, whatever. And so they are compromised, not all of them, but many are compromised because they themselves have been complicit in this sense. And the second thing that we've noticed is that many of our clergy are dedicated Democrats, and dedicated so much so um, to the point where they will toe the line of the Democratic Party just to be able to stay um Uh, in fellowship with the party because many of and several of their programs might be funded um, through political streams. For instance, the food food program, the feeding program that they might be, uh, that they might have going through their their church might be supplied uh, through governmental entities. So, 
you know, we're talking about, you know, government G, government A, government B, et cetera, et cetera. And that supply helps to feed the hungry. Or they might have a Head Start program running through their their church. Well, again, that's government money. Uh, they might have um, some kind of clothing, housing for the homeless kind of program. And so, again, the government pays for those beds, and they also um, are connected through the power to the to the power structure and if and if it's democratically controlled, guess what? They are not going to bite the hand that is feeding them. And so right. they're compromised. And in the compromise, what they do is toe the line. And the way that they toe the line is through their silence and through not dealing with this not allowing this subject to be raised in their pulpits. Um, uh, The uh, enemies of life have done a a bang-up job. I I tell you, I salute them in how good a job they have done in silencing our leaders. When I look at someone like a Jesse Jackson, who at one time was, was... uh, pro-life and stood yep. up for life. Um, when I look at someone like him, when it came time to run for president, okay, and the money streams, he needed money to get elected, then all of a sudden he became pro-choice and has been pro-choice ever since. And when I look at someone like him, and just a second, all right. I'm on the radio. And when I look at someone like this, he is a perfect example of the compromise that I am talking about, whereby right. we will literally throw Jesus Christ and the word of life. God said that I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly, but the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And this brother is a perfect example of how we line up with the enemies of our souls, the enemies of our communities, because they have money and will give it to us if we're willing to throw our communities and our convictions within the word of God under the bus. And he is he is an example of what I'm talking about. And so that's what's going on. You have pastors who are afraid that if they bring up this issue, because most of their congregations are in Democrat Democratic camps, will leave their church. And so to that pastor, that's a loss of tithes and offerings and personnel, okay? And he's afraid of his church going under if he were to begin to preach on this issue. But I have news for these pastors because we are, our population, we have lost close to almost 40% of our population. We have lost them to abortion alone. And if there is any one 
segment of the population. And I'm speaking not only of the African American, but I'm also speaking now of the African American community and the Hispanic community. If there is any population who, because they are solidly in the Democratic camp, has the power to change the party, it is those two. And that we have a call of God, okay, to stand up for those who are being drawn down to slaughter, to stand up for those who are being um, killed uh, without justice. We have that call on our on our community, okay, and we as African Americans or as Native Americans or as Hispanic, if there is anybody who needs to do this work, it is us. Because most of the whites are in the Republican Party or independent. But we need Democrats to right the wrongs that they have sown in our community because they are killing us left and right. And not only right. that, not only are they killing us, okay, they've been killing us historically for for hundreds of years, okay, through the eugenicist movement. I heard you had some clips there from Maafa, beautiful yep. work that was put out to explain the historical thread and the historical tie between the eugenicist movement and slavery and what we see happening in the Democratic Party through Planned Parenthood and the like, okay. I mean, what the what the Ku Klux Klan couldn't do, Planned Parenthood has done. Amen? And uh, how better way to destroy a people than to have them destroy themselves? And so we have got to expose these enemies, okay? I know for some pastors it's hard to expose who you thought was a friend as an enemy, who you saw as your your um your your resource or your your partner in the quote liberation of our communities end quote as really being the fox in the hen house and how we have got to get the fox out of the hen house. We've got to get them out of our schools where they are teaching our children that they are animals and that they're teaching them that because they're animals they have that they should go ahead and pursue animalistic instincts. And that if you do that, hey, we got abortion to cover your back after that. Okay? We have got to uh, eliminate these enemies in our communities. And also, if there are any pastors listening, know that because of what they're doing in the schools, they are undermining your authority as a pastor to pastor these children so that they can be chaste, so that they can marry, so that they can begin to rebuild our communities. And the more you support the enemy's program, the more undermined your authority becomes. And that's why we're seeing such a dilution of the power of the church to affect the community. Because the church has been compromised. Amen. That's right. That's right. So, you know, we've talked about the problem. Now, 
I want to hear about Richie Mercy Ministries, the ministry that God's given you and Pastor Brian. I want I want to hear about that. So, okay. Um, Rich and Mercy is a ministry to uh, those who have been involved with abortion um, and lost children or family members uh, or community by abortion, as well as those who have lost uh, family members by miscarriage. Um, And uh, if I could describe Rich and Mercy in terms of what the goals are, uh, our goals are twofold. Uh, the first goal is to reconcile uh, that family member or participant first to God and fully reconcile them to God in their own minds and in their own souls and in their own hearts. Okay, and the second goal is to reconcile them with uh, with their children. Rich and Mercy is a is an eight week program, and we minister to the uh, abortion recovery world. And and so who I'm talking about are not just the mother and the father of the aborted child, but we're talking about the family members. Of that aborted child We're we're, we're talking about the siblings um, The grandparents Uh, Very often uh, Grandparents uh, Take their daughter down To the abortion clinic And or advocate for them To have abortions So their hands um, Might be soiled here We, We minister to aunts Uncles, any family member who has lost a family member by abortion, Rich and Mercy is there to minister to them. We also minister to the those who are in the clinic. Uh, we're talking the receptionists, the, um, the nurses, the so-called doctors, uh, those who have been the escorts in those abortuaries. And we call them abortuaries because people go in alive, but they don't come out of there alive. And so uh, we minister to them. We minister to the friends or the uh, other members of the community who persuaded and helped uh, someone obtain an abortion whereby a baby died. And so we... Our doors are open to the entire post-abortive world, and uh, we are there to help them to receive Jesus Christ as he is and to know him as he is and not as they think he is, to receive the word of the Lord and the, the boldness to be able to come boldly to the throne of grace, to seek out the help that we need, to be able to confess our sins uh, and to confess our crimes to God Almighty and thereby allow him to touch our lives and receive his forgiveness for our despicable crimes. Uh, We mince no words in Rich and Mercy because We don't have time to play games. This is the devil who has 
been bludgeoning us and been blowing our brains out, some of us, for uh, 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 for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, brains being blown out by the devil because we wandered around in our in our excuses as to why we did what we did and how it was the best thing at the time and and um well you know my mama made me do it and and on 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 okay i was in college and you know i had a career and and, and you know the scenarios and but those those are the excuses that keep us from being able to confess this sin as sin and to be and to understand it from God's point of view and that we deserve the death penalty but that Jesus Christ paid it for us so that we wouldn't have to pay it and that we could then receive his forgiveness which is the beginning of the healing process amen and once we right. receive his forgiveness what else do we do we begin to break down some of the other iniquities that are involved or the other sins that are involved that enslaved us uh, and helped us get to the abortion clinic. Sins like anger, sins like um, anxiety, fear, um, guilt, shame, um, you name it, that gets us to the abortion clinic. We knock those down week after week after week. And I like to tell people that we are not a biblically-based program, okay? We are a biblically-saturated program because Brian and I cannot heal any participant in Rich and Mercy, but God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit through the Word of God not only can heal them, but he will heal them if they will submit themselves to that word, to his grace, to his mercy. Because all of us, all of us were dead in our trespasses at one time. But yet he says in Ephesians that he has made us alive who were dead in trespasses. He says in another part of the world, in another part of the word where even though we were dead in sins, God still sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. And that all of us once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air that's that's working right now, even in the sons of disobedience. And we all once conducted ourselves like that. We all once were in the lust of our flesh and in the lust of our eyes and, and how we fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're, and we're, by nature, children of wrath. All of us were there. But God, oh, but God, who is rich in mercy. You know, yep. we've got to get a real glimpse of just how rich, just how insanely, phenomenally rich God is because of his great love. That's what gives the mercy aspects of God is because his love towards us is so great wherewith he loves us that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us all alive together with Christ. 
and he made us to sit together, and he raised us up together in Christ. Our children are dead in terms of they are not physically here on the earth, but they are right there with Jesus Christ, and they are alive together with him, and they have been raised up with him, and so have we. And together there is another opportunity coming, and that God wants to finally, finally, finally set his people free by by eliminating the death connection to our children and replacing it with a life connection, replacing it with his life, the life that he purchased for us on the cross that allows us to be not only made alive together, but to be raised up together, and that there's a reunion coming, and that there's there's that, that, that day of eternity coming when we will all be together and we will have all of our family put back together in one piece. And so that's what Rich in Mercy is about. And Amen. we do this in, in, in eight weeks. We cover the topic of grief quite, quite, um, quite phenomenally. Um, it, it allows for God to, through His Holy Spirit, to get in there and allow us to have the permission, finally, the permission to grieve outwardly what we have been grieving silently, and for and for many of us. Subconsciously For years Some of us decades Right right. Wow Your your testimony Your passion for the movement And just your passion for God First and foremost Is in hearing what you Hearing what you shared I know that's where it all stems from And I I I really cannot put into words just how how blessed I am to just to see a ministry like yours and Pastor Brian that that's prevalent that's reaching out not just um, to our community but to people across the board but specifically to our community. Because, as you know, um, in our community, post-abortive black women, they do not talk about what they endure. Our, Our community as a whole is fiercely secretive, fiercely. We keep things closed in, bottled in. And the fact that God brought brought you and Pastor Brian to a place where you guys could break out, receive healing, and not only did you receive the healing, you didn't just take your healing and then run run with it. You actually returned, came back and said, okay, God, you healed me. Now we want to be used by you to go into our community and not just reach the post-abortive women, but you're reaching everybody that's involved in it. 
the grandparents, the men, the abortion clinic workers, probably the abortion doctor. I mean, you you all have made the choice to reach out and minister to all people. And even the pastors, which um, you didn't talk a little bit about your ministry to the pastors, but that that is the biggest that's the biggest obstacle that we're facing in our community because, as you know, the Negro Project is still at work. To, yeah, it is. To this day, it, never, it never went away. But my question to you is how do we deal in our community with people and and for the most part, it's our community as a whole. We have a we have a hard time as a people accepting correction. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we tend to be donkeys. Yeah, huh? but you know what? I'm uh, what I have found is if we are willing to be transparent ourselves. You know, the the scripture is true. He says that the enemy is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And when we are willing to be transparent about what God did for us and how he did it, then what that does is cause for people's hearts to begin to soften. And it it allows people, it gives people the permission to say to you and whisper to you, oh, I had one of those too. Or, yeah, you know what, my girlfriend and I, we had four abortions and, you know, I ain't proud of myself. You know what I'm saying? It it allows for the opportunity to be able to touch um, that person because the trauma list when when in our in our curriculum we have a list of the traumas of of abortion and when you look at that list, um, Pastor Thomas, I'll be I'll be frank with you, it is the who's who of the black communities. Dysfunction Right It is the who's who And all of the Dysfunction that we see Is in that trauma list And so We have found that Often, not always, but very Often If we attack, if we attack The murder issue Which is what abortion is If we attack the prenatal murder Issue Okay, which which was unleashed into our community and into our country in 1973. Pre, that prenatal spirit, prenatal murder spirit, got loosed through Roe versus Wade. Right. Okay. If we can attack the murder issue, not only do I believe because God said it in His Word that if we that if we would repent, that he would heal our land, not only will we see the murder rate go down in our communities, 
but we will begin to see our community come back to the Lord and for God's righteousness and God's holiness and God's prescription for a life that has life and more abundantly, we will see our communities turned around. Because the only hope for us as a people, we are now facing 80% of our children being born out of wedlock. The only hope for us is Jesus Christ. There is no Buddha. There is no Muhammad. There is no New Age guru. There's no Oprah. There's no Studman, Stedman, who can put our community back together again. Only Jesus Christ. And so, like the children of Israel, like the children of Israel who wandered away from God, and he's been, and he called them back, and he implored them to come back. We are at that place as a people where if we don't turn our back, if we don't turn our hearts back to him that we may see the bondage that Israel saw okay and i believe is here in view of all of the hell that has been unleashed into our communities since that we are right. killing each other left and right we're dying like flies from disease he said if we would follow him and follow after his commandments, that the diseases that he put on the Egyptians, he would not put on us. Well, guess what? We got them all. From the cancers, the AIDS, the diabetes, the everything, you name it, we got it all. Right. Okay? And so that, I find, is the is the way to go. And also... God is calling those who are goats to become sheep. And that is our job, is to call the goats to become sheep and to call the sheep to follow the shepherd. (laughs) Right. Amen. Amen. And, And that's our job. And you know what? Jesus only had 12. Look at what he did. So imagine what all of us who are called according to this purpose, imagine what we can do if we just go out and do it. Amen? Yes. Broadcast like what you're doing helps to get the word out. Okay? Ministries like what I'm doing helps to get the word out. There is nobody more pro-life than a healed post-abortive person. That's right. That's There's cold. pro-life as it gets. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you can speak, you can speak to you can speak to the uh, issue of, of pro-life. Let me ask you: Do you know? Um, do you know Alan Parker with the Justice Foundation and Operation Outcry? Yes, I met him years ago. Yes. Okay. Did you sign? So, were were you one of the five thousand post-abortive women that signed the um, declaration? 
Absolutely. Okay. That's awesome. He's actually tentatively scheduled to be our guest next week, um, coming on to talk about the um their, they the Justice Foundation has joined with the Liberty Legal Council to fight the overturning of the Arkansas abortion ban after twelve weeks, which I did not realize until talking to him yesterday. It banned all mm-hmm. abortions after twelve weeks. Period. And I was like, wow. So, you know, God has, he has warriors. We're there, but we need to, we need to be a cohesive, unified unit. We, I mean, they're fighting over incrementalism and all this stuff, fighting over money. And the pro-abortion, they said, that they're laughing at, they're laughing at us. So, what what is your advice to people who the the pro life movement? Because as you know, mainstream pro life movement as a whole still has not fully addressed the genocidal aspect and the destruction of the black community as a whole. Because I guess the prevailing attitude is, well, black people need to. Deal with their own stuff. Well, I say to that if we were if if unity was not needed, why are the pro aborts across the board unified? They have Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, uh, NAACP, Congressional Black Caucus, all them individuals, they all on board with them. Why can't we be unified on our side? Well, first off, I, I do want to say that if there is anything that pro-lifers are unified about, and they are unified about, and this has been my experience with them, is that they want to see an end to abortion. Okay? On that point, we are unequivocally unified. Okay? What I have found to be the problem, however, is that we do not very often allow Uh, God to determine who does what, when, and how. And so what we very often do is get in the way of other people doing what God wants them to do on this issue and the way he wants them to do it. And so very often we can become haughty and arrogant and say, well, my way is the best way to end abortion. Or someone else will say, well, no, my way is the best way to end abortion. Okay, and to be frank with you, we are fighting a war that has to be fought on several fronts. And so the foot can't say to the eye, I have no need of thee. Okay, and the foot can't say to the eye, well, you know what? I'm more important than you, the eye. And, And the eye can't say, well, you know, I'm more important than you, foot. Okay. And that's what we have going on in the pro-life movement. Um, and, and to be frank with you, that must stop. And I'm beginning to see um, here in my own backyard, I'm beginning to see that actually happening. Uh, we have just come back from the second meeting that we have had of the, of the pro-life movement here in Minnesota. 
Oh, wow. And we, yeah, and we have come together and stated, okay, we need to do something about the destruction and the genocide of African Americans um, from abortion. And um, and let me just address how uh, we are tackling this so far. Uh, the, so far what we're doing is we're telling people that we need to stay in our own lanes, meaning what God has told you to do and how he's told you to do it is exactly the way you need to do it. But what right. we need to do is help each other do what God has told us to do. So, so for instance, Brian and I are are plaintiffs in a case. We are suing the state of Minnesota, and we are suing them with the help of the um, Alliance Defense Fund, okay, okay, which is now called Alliance Defending Freedom. We have some of their top attorneys, including Jordan Lawrence. Um, taking um, our case, and we are suing the state of Minnesota in the hopes of halting taxpayer-funded abortions in Minnesota. Okay. The name of the case is called Walker versus Jessup. All right? You can look it up online. Okay? So that's our case. And what we're saying is that of the 10,000... Um, abortions that Minnesota has paid for that we are saying that the overwhelming majority of them were paid for illegally and were illegally performed and that this must stop. And so if we win, this will, it will not stop all abortions in, in, in Minnesota but it will drastically cut down on the amount of taxpayer-funded abortions that are performed here. Okay? Right. Now, we're plaintiffs in this lawsuit. We're the only plaintiffs in this lawsuit, Reverend Brian and Reverend and, and me together. Okay, so this is being prosecuted. But guess what? We're not getting paid for this. We don't have the wherewithal to do this. The Alliance Defending Freedom is the one who's paying for this. They're the ones who have put up their legal team. But guess what? You know, we could still use a little help, brothers and sisters, okay, to help us on our end because we still have to put in the time on the lawsuit. You see what I'm saying? And also, Rich and Mercy, hey, you know what? Let's get it into every church. Let's get it into every community. Let's get it into the African American community. You got you got the contacts that I need to connect with. Hook us up, okay? What else? We want to have a billboard campaign. Well, the billboard people are here in Minnesota. Help us put up some billboards. Basically, what you already are doing. We just want you to keep doing it, but do it here, okay? Right. And to help one another, we have a marketing, we have marketing expertise. We have the largest 
um, uh, 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 segment of PHCs, okay, in Minnesota. Per capita, we have the largest amount of PHCs per capita in the entire country through total life wow. care centers. And so what we are seeing is this is the second meeting, and the pro-life community has finally come together and decided, you know what, we need to do this, and we need to take our cues from those who have been doing this, and we need to listen up to the wisdom and help the folk who are on the ground in these communities reach the community, okay? And that's where we're at in Minnesota. And I believe that as this goes forward, that we will become a model even for the rest of the country. Because you and I know that that black people do not like white people coming in telling them what to do. All right. Okay. And the bottom line is King was the head of the movement. He grafted in the white brethren, okay, and he had them help, and they supplied him with resources, including legal, financial, you name it. But King was the head of the movement, okay? And that's what has to happen in the for the African-American community, okay? It cannot be white folks coming in and telling us what to do because we will shut them down. They will not hear that. But we need local leaders, okay, who look like us and who are willing to take up the mantle, such as yourself, to go on in, okay, but 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 connect with the rest of the pro-life movement in your area and say, look, this is what I'm trying to do. Help me reach my people. And I'm not asking you to do anything that you aren't already doing. What I'm asking of you is to do what you're doing, but do it here. <laughs> Amen? Amen. That's that's so true. And, you know, the commentary in that is that, and it's, it's, it's a sad commentary in the fact that because we as a community, and, and this is something the Lord spoke to my heart, actually. Um, this About last year sometime, he spoke this to my heart, and he said specifically, the reason why the black community is in the position that it's in is because collectively as a group, we have never repented for for holding on to racism and unforgiveness in our heart. We still, as a community, have a lot of bitterness and hatred towards white people, and we're not immune from the Word of God. I believe it's mm-hmm. Mark 11, verses 25, 26, 27, 28. I mean, there is a vast, and vast part of our community who feels that because because we as a people, we were enslaved, our ancestors were enslaved. Nobody has a right to criticize us for anything, and we're above criticism. And that, as you know, is something that 
was perpetuated by the Democratic Party through the victim mentality, and we've taken that, we've swallowed the line, hook, line, and sinker, and until we realize that we are not immune to that, Paul Paul said, I become all things to all people so that I might win a few. And the fact that we can't receive from someone because they're white or a different race than us, that really puts us in a very dangerous position when in light of looking at Scripture. But that's what happens to a people who have left God. A people who have left God are people who are unforgiving and are bitter and will not repent when God has spoken to them to repent. We have had warning after warning after warning after warning to return back to the Lord. But not only not only are we shanghaied by our own racism in terms of who we can't receive from, but like but like the word says, we are also we've also opened ourselves up because of our racism to receive from someone sent straight from hell to destroy us. Right. Okay. A person who looks just like us. A person who said of his own two daughters, if they got pregnant, he wouldn't want them to be saddled with children out of wedlock. The same person who said when the um, um, Infant Born Alive Act, okay, came up, uh, he voted against it twice. Twice he voted against infants that are born alive from a botched abortion from receiving medical aid and care. Okay? So we'll receive him. We'll receive him even though he says, not only will I help you kill our children, but then I'll help further destroy your family by pushing for gay marriage. Okay? And to essentially loose a a, a a spirit of whoredoms and abominations into that same community. Why? Because he's black. And that's Obama. Yep. So we're Shanghai no matter which way you look at it. And we're Shanghai by our own refusal to return to Jesus Christ and repent. You're absolutely right, brother. You are absolutely right. And until we, I, I like what uh, Wellington Boone, Pastor Wellington Boone down there in Atlanta. Uh, I, I like how he puts it. He says, until we as a people start reading our Bibles right. and start making the Bible our primary source for information for living and for life and for understanding what is right and wrong until we make that our primary source and stop going to these secondary sources which contradict the word. He says we as a people will continue to eat the bread of destruction 
that we are experiencing. Yeah. And I and it's like, you know what? Brother man's got it right. So and so do you. You're absolutely correct. We have got to repent. From the from the from the pulpit to the door. We have got to repent. Yes. Amen. And wow. This is this has been an awesome this has been an awesome interview. Um I'm gonna give you a call probably um tomorrow just to just to talk um just to talk some more because you had mentioned to me about a desire for me to go through the um the program and that's that's something that I definitely wanna do. So but um, we have uh, five minutes and about 40 seconds left. I would like for you to take a few minutes and basically give your final thoughts about, you know, just just whatever God lays on your heart. Okay. Um, first off, um, Pastor, I'd like for you to call me next week. <laughs> Okay. okay, the weekend is for family. Amen. Okay. No problem. Um, it's important to uh, maintain those ba- those boundaries. But um I just want to say that first off I'm so grateful uh to you for the opportunity to discuss this issue. This is a burner issue if there ever was. And it is the issue. It is the civil rights issue of this century. And I want to say to all of my brothers and sisters out there, especially those who are African American, Native American, Hispanic, and Asian, only we can turn this thing around. We have a calling from God on our lives to stand up for those who are being drawn away to the slaughter. We have got to stand up and be counted for life. And we must demand from our legislators, we must demand from our clergy that they have the backbone and overturn the laws in our states and in our communities that are killing and siphoning off our communities from our children. We have got to do this. We cannot wait any longer. The African-American community has already lost close to 40% of our population through prenatal murder abortion alone. If you were to total up the deaths of those in the African-American community from cancer, AIDS, homicide, diabetes, heart attack, if you were to, if you were to total up all of those deaths, prenatal abortion, um, prenatal murder kills four times more than that total combined. We cannot allow this to happen any longer. If we keep this up, we will decrease in numbers 
such that we as a political force will become a non-entity. We will become totally irrelevant. And I dare say that we have already become irrelevant to the Democratic Party because we still stand with them on everything, and they know that we will stand with them on everything. And so they have literally betrayed us and abandoned us about those things which most pertain to our families and the regrowth of our communities. And so I implore you, I am begging you to stand up for life. Finger your legislators. Finger those who are in your community, who are leaders, and let them know that they must stand up for this because we will not allow them to remain in office. And I'm speaking especially of our political leaders. And we will not allow them to remain in office if they don't turn this thing around. We have a calling, people. Those of us who are whose names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, God is watching us, and God has empowered us and anointed us to set captives free. He has anointed us to preach the gospel, the good news. And the good news of his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. But we must act. We are losing time. We are losing ground. We are dying. You must act. And you must act now. Amen. Reverend Walker, Pastor, I want to thank you for joining joining me today. And I'll have to have you and Pastor Brian on together at a different time. But you keep doing the work that you're doing. And I want to say God bless you. You enjoy this weekend with your family. And I will give you a call next week. Thank you, brother. You be blessed. God bless you and have a good night. Okay, you too. Good night. You have been listening to Pro-Life Friday Radio here on the Visible Conservative Your Network. Please tune in next week to another episode of Pro-Life Friday Radio.